0: I'm an alcoholic. Hold on, let me set myself a timer real quick. Sorry. Oh. Maybe one uh, you guys got nowhere else better to be. <laughs> Simon alcoholic. Um, I'd like to welcome the newcomers, the chip takers. And I'd like to congratulate my friend, Hugh, on a happy birthday. Uh, thanks, Tom, for asking me to lead tonight. You did dick me, You told me it's 30 minutes. And then I got here and it's like, Tim's like 40 minutes. And then I hear someone say 45 minutes. And I'm like, oh, my God.
1: <laughs> um,
0: 90 minutes, you guys will kill yourself. Okay. You don't want yeah. that. Um, Thanks, Eric, for coming down. Really appreciate it. Um, Where do I begin? What it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. What it was like, um, I was born in Iran, um, back and forth my whole life. I made a permanent move to Orange County when I was 12 years old. And I remember my first drink of alcohol was bootleg Russian vodka that my dad had smuggled into the country, because. Iran's a Muslim country and you can't drink. So I think I swear I was like four or three years old. And when I took that drink, everyone would just call me Smiley because I would just laugh. It was like the greatest thing ever. And I clearly recall from that moment on, I knew alcohol was the solution to my problems. So mom and dad divorce, um, tossed across the world multiple times the closest thing to me in the world is my brother. Um, Cause he was the only one with me, you know, like wherever you go, it was just me and him. And we moved from Iran to Tennessee, from Tennessee to Rancho Santa Margarita, from Rancho Santa Margarita, back to Iran, from Iran to San Jose, from San Jose to Mission Viejo, from Mission Viejo to Irvine, from Irvine, to back to RSM, from RSM to Aliso Viejo, and that was all by the time I was 12 years old. So I just like was not comfortable anywhere I went. Um, I was always different. I just, I felt like I didn't fit in. So now I'm in eighth grade and I meet this kid named Dustin. Um, and my brother paved the way for me, for me to be able to do whatever I wanted in my house. Um, my dad would, was on his ass, and how old are you when you're in eighth grade, like 13 or something? I'd pack a backpack. I'd be like, yo, I'll be home Monday. He'd be like, cool, have fun. I was like the first kid in eighth grade to have a cell phone so he could always get uh, get a hold of me. and. I meet Dustin. Dustin's dad owns a construction company and there's a bunch of construction workers living at his house and they would just buy us beer. I would literally take these people's cars to go pick up girls at like 13 years old. And I would drive back and be like, oh, you're back? I was like, yeah, 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 I got him." <laughs> um, so that was the beginning of my substance abuse career. Uh, it lasted until 26 years old with a lot of downs, more downs than ups. And I I kept it going as long as I could. So 12 years old rolls around, alcohol was the culprit. Drugs pulled my world down faster than anything else, but always behind the drugs, alcohol was involved. So now I'm drinking every single weekend. Um, The beginning of eighth grade year, I was getting A's. As soon as Dustin came into my life, I just, went downhill, just stopped caring, ended up getting kicked out of middle school. Um, This was actually one of the craziest experiences of my life. I got to the principal's office so many times that every single vice principal in the district had a meeting about me with my dad in the room and they all had my file in front of them and the file was like this big. And they're all going through and they're like, oh, so um, on this day, you decided to punch someone in the mouth. And I swear I got lightheaded in that meeting and I was just like, oh my God, I'm gonna pass out. It was just like, you do shit. You don't realize like the ramifications of your actions. And in that one moment, that was like my first moment of clarity. In that one moment, I was like, wow, I am a bad fucking kid. Like, I'm, I'm like, I'm just not good. Like I did what I wanted whenever I wanted without worrying about any consequences home life, dad was always working, mom never around, raised by a schizophrenic uncle and a grandmother, brushing my teeth, doing my laundry and homework were just never like on the list for anything. And I'll tell you guys how that comes about in a little bit. So now I'm in middle school. I'm just fucking up royally. My brother is fucking up. I get introduced to Vicodin at 16 years old. And by that time, my brother's 19 and I'd see him go through withdrawals and I'd laugh at him. I'd be like, bro, like you're weak. Like what's wrong with you? Like I'd be able to like pop a couple of these things and I'd be cool. And it was that mentality. So from 16 years old to 26, my life was a never ending party. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And if you guys know any, if you have any friends who are Iranian, like our parents are so fucking codependent, they will never kick us out and they will enable us. I'm 36 years old. I own a home. I own a business. And my dad told me this week to move in with him. Like, I swear to God, he was being dead serious. He's like, yeah, just come back, live with me. Like, you can have the master bedroom. I'm like, bro, that is not happening. Like, that is legit not happening. So... From 16 years old to 26 years old, pop supplied everything, money, car, cell phone, clothes. I had no reason to grow up, like at all, at all. 16 years old, I get introduced to opiates and my brother's like a gnarly hustler. So he was selling them and I was taking them. Um, he'd come home with like bottles of 500, and I'd break the seal and like dump like 50 of them. And he'd come home and be like, dude, why is the seal broken? I'm like, I don't know, bro. <laughs> like, I have no idea. Like, all fucking itchy, dude. And he's like, he's like dude, stop lying. I'm like, dude, leave me alone. I'm like, why are you oppressing me? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I get addicted to opiate, uh, pharmaceutical opiates at around 19 years old. And while I'm partying and doing all of this, I had this grand illusion that I was going to be a professional fighter. I swear to God, from 12 years old till 22, I would train every single day. Um, I'd go running in the morning. I'd come home. I'd eat breakfast, go to the gym from 12 to two come home chill go back to the gym from like five to seven and I lived like this for like 10 years while the whole time I'm doing drugs and drinking and every night I got out I someone got knocked out like it was it was it was bad um I can't tell you how many times I've been jumped I've been jumped in Cota de Casa. they've broken eight bottles over my head a bottle of Jack on my back, a vase on my back. It got to a point where people at the party wouldn't get near me. They started hucking bottles at me from a distance and were like, just leave. And I'm like, fuck you guys, let's go to war. And I'm like, dude, what is wrong with me? Um, Every single nightclub I've ever been to, I've been kicked out of. My brother would always get tables so he'd get me back in. And like, there's this meme floating around, like you're getting pulled out of the club like this, wondering why the bouncer is kicking you out. Like that was me every single night, I had a very, very gnarly inferiority complex. And the only way I could prove I was better is by knocking you out. And, you know, like I've been training for fucking 12 years. Like it's, it's, it's a very high probability that like someone's a fight is happening and someone's going to get hurt. And it happened a lot. So at 19 years old, I'm addicted to opiates and every single person I'm training with is addicted to opiates. So it was like normal for us. I'd go do home invasion robberies. Like, dude, my dad supplied me. There's no reason for me to do that. Like at all. Like I just go to my dad and be like, yo, dude, I need like 200 bucks to be like here. Like there's absolutely no reason for someone in my position to have to go do home invasion robberies. And I did them a bunch of times just to stay well, get money and I'd go detox myself in hotel rooms. Um, by detox, I mean like I grab like 50 somas and like a hundred Xanax and I just go put myself into a coma for like four days. But one thing I didn't account for is somas are muscle relaxers, okay? And <laughs> this is so bad, dude. I would probably take, I don't know, 10 somas but you feel your entire body still hurting, but now you have no muscle control. And now you're just like, like, it was fucking bad. The only place I would feel safe is in the shower, with water hitting me, the body aches would go away. So I would lay towels in the shower and I would just stay there. Like I would run the shower multiple times a day. I didn't go through a full detox until I was 26 years old. I always did it myself. now so much happened best friend my role dog kid that the first kid i met here when i moved to mission viejo his name is caleb rest in peace you guys know his little brother wyatt Um, caleb was me in another form and caleb had a gnarly gnarly childhood both parents drug addicts uh raised by his grandmother and grandfather And for kids like us, like there is literally no hope. Like the only hope there is for kids like us is prison or death. And death is the easy way out. Like if I had to choose a life between prison and death, just fucking kill me, dude. You're not gonna put me in a cage. Um, I would do the home invasions with Caleb. I would party with Caleb. Every single brawl I've been into, Caleb had my back. One night we got into a brawl in Mission Viejo. you guys want to hear the story? Yeah. All right. One time we get a phone call. It's Halloween. It's Halloween. We get a phone call. I'm dressed as a sailor. No, I'm dressed as a disco guy. Caleb's dressed as a sailor, and we get a phone call that someone that he doesn't even like got jumped at a party, and we're at In-N-Out off El Toro, and I'm black. I'm like, I can't move. I'm so drunk. Caleb's like, bro, we're going. I'm like, Caleb, I I can't fight. Bro. He was like, stop being a bitch, we're going. I was like, all right, bro. We drive up to the house, Caleb grabs a cake tap out of the backseat of my car. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen Braveheart, but he just grabs the, he grabs the cake tap and he just starts giving him the Braveheart strut up the hill. And I swear to God, there's like 300 people at this house party. Caleb just starts swinging the cake tap and smashing it into car windows and just clocking random kids. I see one dude run in and grab the entire party and the entire party comes running out. I see some people trying to outflank Caleb and I'm just like, uh, and I just run, I run up, I throw a punch and I just fall into the guy. Now I'm going for a ride. Four dudes come up to me. One of them grabs, grabs the cake tap that we brought up there and just starts clipping me over the head. Now I just feel cold all run down my chest. And I was like, pull away from them. And they're like, all right, all right, right, he's done. Cops come, Caleb got a boulder dropped on his face. He had to get reconstructive surgery. And this was like a Saturday night for us, right? That's what we lived for. It was fun, it was exciting. You know, all the good stuff you do when you're young and wild. Um, Hold my beer. Hold my beer, (laughs) Watch this, (laughs) watch this. Caleb ends up going to jail because we got caught smoking heroin out in front of my house. Caleb had a three-year joint suspension over his head. And he goes to jail for three months. He signed a deal. And I'm going hard this whole time. And at this point, I got introduced to old Panas. Uh, before that, we were uh, smoking oxies in the 80s. so. Caleb gets out and he's like, hey dude, I got this move lined up for us, whatever, whatever. And I was like, fuck it, I'm down. Um, I go meet him at Islands in Huntington Beach and he'd been drinking that day. Um, We go to the house, we make the move, whatever. We come out, we came out with like, I don't know, like 3,000 bucks in cash. And the whole time, he's like, hey, I want oxies, I want oxies. I'm like, bro, I can't get oxies. All I can get is O'Panas. And he's like, all right, fine, whatever. Get me fucking O'Panas. And Caleb lived at my house. Like, he had his own room at my house. My dad loved them like a son. So he comes over. I get him two O'Panas. I take two O'Panas. I'm like, Caleb, only do one. These things will creep up on you, dude. Only do one. Promise me right now you're going to do one. He's like, I'll only do one, I promise you. I was like, cool. He goes into his room, and I go into my room. He comes into my bedroom at like, I don't know, must have been like 2 a.m. at this time. And he's like, hey, can you drive me to Lauren's? Lauren lives in Ladera Ranch. That's his ex-girlfriend. He's like, I've been drinking. I was like, sure. I take him to Ladera Ranch, and... I should have fucking known dude he's sitting on the couch his lips are blue his eyes are bloodshot and all i can think about is just rolling up that joint and smoking it and fucking about the drive home and what route i'm going to take to not run into a cop i should have fucking known in hindsight um i get a phone call from lauren at four in the morning going like what did you give him what did you give him what did you give him and i'm like dude why are you calling me call nine one one. I just immediately hop into his truck. I drive down there and there's cops in the house and I'm like, hey, so like, how's it looking? And they're like, not good. And I just fell to the floor. I fell to the floor and I just started crying. And after that, like my life got really fucking dark. Um, I didn't want to live. I didn't have the balls to kill myself. Um, All I knew was how to get high and stay high and my family enabled me. Thank God the Alamans never got a hold of him because I would have been homeless. Shit would have got weird, you know. I'm grateful for that. Um, that was a terrible joke. <laughs> 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 so now it's 2010. My sobriety date's 20, uh, February 17th, 2013. So there was about two years of misery. Sorry, three years three years of straight misery, hell, like I, incomprehensible demoralization, the be, 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 be bewilderments, like all of it, dude, all of it. So I don't have the balls to kill myself and I don't wanna live. So now all I'm doing is continuously overdosing at my house and waking up in a hospital with a catheter with a super hot nurse looking at me and I'm like, fuck dude, this is so bad. This is so bad. <clears throat> I overdosed probably like five or six times in the course of a six-month period. Um, they hit me with a Narcan. My mom, this I had. it took me three years to finally make an amends to my mom, but I did. But they hit me with a Narcan and they take me to Mission Hospital. My mom's been working there for like 30 years. So I like to say I get the VIP treatment at Mission Hospital. It's kind of nice. I get in my own room. Um, now I'm in a four-point restraint. Completely, everything is off my opiate receptors, and I'm losing my shit because I'm in a full-blown withdrawal. Just talking shit to everyone. Um, the nurses are coming in. I'm like, "Fucking fucking segi, you probably make a hundred grand a year. You live in the dairy <laughs> ranch. You don't know my pain." <laughs> and like, <laughs> it's just embarrassing, dude. Just all embarrassing. Um, they put me in a four-point restraint, put me in a four-day medically-induced coma uh, because the doctor told my family, if I give him any more Adderall, he's gonna overdose on that. So they were like, just put him in a coma. They put me in a coma to get me through the withdrawals. And the only thing I remember coming out of that coma is the tube coming out of my throat and my entire family around the bed. My mom, dad, cousins, aunts, uncles, they're, they're all just hanging around the bed. And now my immune system shot and my dad's like, you're going to rehab. And I was like, yes, yes, I'm going to rehab. <laughs> like, <laughs> I will not resist it this time. I go to rehab, they have me on Suboxone maintenance, I'm packing, I'm chewing every single day and I don't know how to deal with my insanity. So I'm running on the treadmill for an hour a day. I'm running on the treadmill for an hour a day and my body can't take it with the dipping and I get thresh in my mouth. It's like this horrible same fungus that's like on athlete's foot, but it's in your mouth. You can't eat, you can't drink. It's just painful, super fucking painful. I left that rehab and now I'm taking like gnarly antifungal pills. And I'm like, I need my opiates to eat. Now I had a legit reason, right? So I need my opiates to eat. That's it, it takes the pain away. It's important. You gotta eat. So <laughs> you gotta eat. So now I'm taking huge antifungal pills, and I'm swallowing. I swear to God, anywhere from thirty to forty-five Norcos a day, on top of like ten to fifteen Somas, on top of like a twenty to twenty-two milligram Xanax habit a day. Like I'm telling you, when I was blown out when I got here, I was blown the fuck out. Jason remembers. Um, so now my liver starts losing it on me. So they put me in ICU for uh, liver failure. And they were like, dude, this is due to drugs. And they're like, we're going to 5150 him. And my dad was like, no, you're not. I'm going to send him to Iran. I was like, cool. Yeah, we're going to Iran. <laughs> and I think this is in like 2012. Um, I go to Iran. And as I told you guys, my uncle's schizophrenic. And he walks into a pharmacy and they'll give him anything he wants. I would send my uncle into the pharmacy. I'd be like, codeine, that's all I care about. Just whatever the fuck it is, just make sure it says the word codeine on it. He went and got me a bunch of syrup. I was taking a bunch of diazepam. I was loving it, dude. I was, I was on cruise control in Iran. <laughs> just like, dude, the traffic is insane. The smog is horrible. And I'm just like, ah. Just like, <laughs> um, I stayed in Iran for, I think, I stayed there a month. And then I came back. And I still had the idea that I wanted to be a professional fighter. So I moved to Vegas. Um, (laughs) I moved to Vegas, and Vegas got dark too. Vegas got very, very, very dark. I would probably drive out here twice a week to pick up, go back home. I had a full blown psychosis episode in Vegas, dude. I remember, like, this is the crazy part about psychosis. You think it's fact. You truly think this shit is happening, dude. I thought my friend came into the room and was like, hey, I need to go to the DMV. I need to take my driving test. And I was like, what? Like, okay, let's go. I'm driving alone. He's not in the car with me. Mm -hmm. Okay. I get to the DMV and out of my car and hour passes two hour passes and now i'm walking around the shopping center going hey do they take limo tests here they're like bro you need to leave like i walked into like the same stores like four or five times and they're like dude just leave like you need to go and i was like all right i get back to the house i'm like i walk in i see him sitting on the couch i'm like fuck you he's like what i was like fuck you he's like what are you talking about i was like bro you literally had me drive you to this place and you ditch me He was like, oh boy, he was like, Simon needs to go home. (laughs) And like, the next day I came home and I remember I was working at my brother's company and it was Valentine's day, 2013. And my girlfriend at the time wanted to get a puppy. And before I could go to the shelter, I had to go get well. And she's calling me, blowing me up. And I can't tell her like, like, she didn't know. I can't tell her like, yo, I'm on my way to go get well. Like, leave me alone. I answer the phone and I flip my shit on her. I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm in fucking meetings and you're over here calling me about a fucking puppy. Leave me the fuck alone, I'll get there when I get there. And I hung up. It was that one act. That was my second moment of clarity that I've had in my entire substance abuse career that I was like, wow, you are a piece of shit. That was the one act I couldn't justify. I couldn't rationalize. I couldn't do mental gymnastics around to make it okay. So like any good 26 year old, the next day I went to my dad and I was like, yo, like I need to go to rehab. He was like, okay, I've been waiting for this day. It's like, all right. I call around, I find a bunch of rehabs. And again, Iranian families, we like to negotiate. So we're sitting at the rehab check-in and the guy's like, yeah, it's gonna be like 30 Gs. And my dad's like, nah. So, it got so I got so uncomfortable with my dad negotiating with him that I went upstairs and I just started calling banks for loans. He comes back up, he goes, "You're in. Grab your stuff. Go." I guess he got like a 30-day treatment for like $6,000, and he agreed to pay him in like installments. <laughs> I was like, wow. Wow. Okay. So I go to rehab now and just keep in mind, dude, I've been abusing substances since I was 12 years old and I go to rehab. I was not mentally stable enough to be put in general population. I ended up assaulting two people on two separate occasions. They're like, we're calling the cops. I was like, I'm going home. I had um, my girlfriend at the time come pick me up, but this time there was something different in me. Um, I didn't sleep that entire night because, like, that bedroom that I stayed at at my dad's house was like where I did everything. Like, that's where all my coping was done with drugs in that bedroom. So the next morning, I go and interview all the sober livings in the area and I'd interview like the people in the house. I'd be like, yo, so I'm, I'm looking for a place to get my dad off my back. Like, is this the spot? They're like, yeah, this is the spot. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going there. I found a sober living in San Juan stayed there i'm a fucking maniac i'm going to bed at like 3 a.m waking up at 5 a.m showing up at the canyon club calling them early like at 5 a.m i'm like hey it's me again are you guys open they're like dude we open at six i was like okay i'll be here <laughs> i lived in the canyon club um the day i got kicked out of rehab jason and peter i went and met up with them and they're like yo we're gonna go to the laguna beach speaker meeting our boy randy's speaking i was like cool let's go we get there and randy makes me laugh so fucking hard in that meeting like i've been numb for 12 years 12 years my nervous system is literally numb and randy made me laugh so hard in that meeting i was like this is the answer literally that meeting i was just like cool he talked about like these idiots and how much the price of blow is now and he was like look at you look at your life you're in detox at a hospital let that sink in and i was just like oh, that's hilarious <laughs> um so now i'm going to meetings three four times a day i grab the first face i recognize which uh my buddy Peter tried to get me to go to meetings in the past, and I'd walk in and be like, Yeah, I have 20 years. I'd be like, <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Who wants to say sober to like gross? I used to get grossed out at people taking 90 day chips. I'd be like, Ew, how would you even want to do that? Like, that's disgusting. Like, get away from me. I'd hear people take it, tell them how much time they had, and I'd be like, That's not real. Like, there's no way that's real. I get 30 days. After 30 days, I kept setting my eye on these milestones. After 30 days, 60. After 60, 90. After 90, six months. And I still have every single one of my chips. Those, My sobriety date and my chips are like what I hold dear to me. I've probably moved like 10 times. And those are the things I'm worried about. Like, where are they? Not my social security, not my passport. I'm like, where are my chips? Um, So... Now I'm going to meetings every single day, three times a day. Jason is like, yo, I'm going to Puerto Rico. I'll be back in like a month. Peter's like, yo, I'm going to Europe for like two months. And I'm like, so what do I do now? I was like, fuck it, gotta go to meetings alone. I go to meetings, I take commitments at the Canyon Club. Any chance I got, I got involved in everything, dude. Easter Sunday, fucking Christmas, Thanksgiving, fucking President's Day, Memorial Day. None of the shit means anything to me. Just please know that. Like, we don't celebrate Christmas. We don't celebrate Thanksgiving. And I was like, yeah, I'm here. Like, what do you need done? You want cigarette cuts picked up? Like, what do you need? I'm here. Please let me stay here. Um, I grabbed the first face I recognized and I start working the steps. Now I'm I have about nine months sober. I start working in treatment and I get another sponsor who... The third step house is a spin-off of the book house. If you guys are familiar with the book house, it's like a very militant program. And their mentality is if you can't take the shit in this house, you're not gonna be able to take it in the real world. So they're mean, they grill each other. There's no feelings. Like there's no like, oh, I don't wanna do that today. Like shut the fuck up, get up, go or get the fuck out. So the third step house is a spin-off. It's a little more gentler approach my sponsor went through the third step house. And the moment I got him as a sponsor, he had me doing my morning readings every day, which is 60 to 63 until I got to step five. And then it was 76 and 84 through 88 after I did my fifth step. And I did that for 18 months, every single day, every morning I would get up. And that's where I learned all of my discipline, all of my routine, all of my structure that, takes a 26-year-old, excuse my language, I've cussed a lot, fucking loser, and puts him in a position to where he can own a fucking company with, I don't know, I don't even fucking know how many employees I have, multiple companies. I get to travel the fucking world wherever I want, not on a budget. Like, this is a person that wouldn't leave a 15-mile radius of his house because he was scared he was going to have a seizure from benzo withdrawal. Like the freedom I have today is unfucking touchable So I get this new sponsor, he has me on this routine. I did not break from this routine for 18 months. And I finally called him, I was like, bro, I'm done. He was like, what? I was like, I'm not reading that shit anymore. He was like, what do you mean? I'm like, bro, I get it, I, I get it. I'm selfish, self-centered, self-seeking. All my problems are out of my own making. I'm a fucking prime example of self-will run riot. Like, I, I'm done. Like I can recite that shit backwards for you if you want." He was like, all right, all right. But doing that allowed me to build a foundation that I can fall back on anytime my life goes to shit. And I'm telling you, the hits come, the hits come. They don't stop. Just because you're sober, it doesn't mean life stops. You're gonna get sucker punched. I can't tell you how many relationships I've imploded. <laughs> like, Bad dude, my picker's kind of off. You know, I like them real sick and toxic. Um, Makes it fun,
1: makes it really fun.
0: You know, when you meet like a normal one, you're like, "Uh, this is boring. Like, like, (laughs) like, this is lame. Like, where's the excitement? Um, By no means am I floating on a pink cloud every single day. Um, I have a lot of character defects that arise especially like I'm, I'm an extremely emotional person and when I'm reactive and I have to really really step back and not let like my emotions just blow my entire life up I'm telling you I've been in like multiple deals with my brother and like we get into an argument and I will hit abort on all of it and it's just like it doesn't make sense. He was like, bro, I just, I took your water. I was like, fuck you. It's like 35, 36 years of bullshit just comes down to like a water. So it takes a lot of work to maintain serenity. It really does. It says we will comprehend the word, the word serenity, and we will know peace. And I have felt that I really have. When I was doing my morning reading every single day, praying in my car, on the way to work, not listening to music, not listening to audio books, not thinking about what I have to do that day. I have literally tasted serenity and it's so fucking sweet. Mm-hmm. Like someone cuts me off. I'm like, oh bro, that's just their journey. Like it's okay. Mm-hmm. Like you work in treatment, client doesn't want to go to group. You're like, oh, come on bro. Like you want to keep living like that? Like, you know, like I'm, I'm very sarcastic, but I've, I've tasted that and It tastes amazing and I know it's there whenever I want to go back to it. But right now, just to be honest with you guys, I'm enjoying my life way too much to like, you know, they say pain's a great motivator for change and I'm not in enough pain. I was for a minute, Tim had me write an inventory. I wrote out like the column and I was like, eh, (laughs) like like I'm good, (laughs) like like we're we're just gonna let this, we're gonna let this simmer a little bit longer, you know? until we're ready to just like really destroy some shit. Um, And then we might look at doing an inventory. But the biggest thing in my life is Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's not bullshit. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous has given me the ability to be a productive member of society, which is what I've always wanted. I used to go to bed at 7 a.m. And I would trip out. I'd be like, fuck, dude, there's people going to work right now. You hear the birds and you're like, dude, what am I doing with my life? I wish I could get there. And I've been there. Sometimes I get up at 5 a.m. to go to the gym and I know the cokeheads like, are looking at me like, whoa, bro, like what are you doing? You know, much time is left? I got about six minutes. So I come into the rooms, I get a sponsor. I start working the steps. I get a job. And with the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous, If you truly encompass them your life has nowhere to go but up and that's the god honest truth you come to work with a servant's heart you're not expecting things in return you truly live an altruistic lifestyle and things come things come into your life in ways that you've never expected my first job at that rehab i met this individual by the name of ian ian's brand new sober um, four years later i reach out to ian for a job ian has me come interview i get the job with ian five years later me and ian start a business together and now like this partnership and this relationship has grown and it's all literally because of alcoholics anonymous and i'm telling you you can't you can't see god's plan when you're in it but hindsight is always 2020 and here's another thing that fucking trips me out. Like every time I've been at a fork in a road, I was like, do I go left or do I go right? And then, you know, like, you can't take your will back. Like, oh, what's your will. So I'm like, if I go left, is it my will? Or if I go right, is it God's will, right? That's, that's something I've always struggled with, is like, how do you make a decision knowing what's what? And the answer I came to is you always have to check your motives. If your motives are pure, it is God's will, but if your motives have malice and uh, disdain, whatever, any negative adjective you wanna throw in there, if your motives have that in it, you're probably making the wrong decision. So every time I've been at a fork in the road and I've struggled with that decision and I decide to go left, I always look back and I'm like, shit, dude, if if I wouldn't have gone left, this person wouldn't have came into my life, this wouldn't have happened, this wouldn't have happened, and if you can't tell me that's not God, I don't know what to tell you. Um, the word God, to me, my God, is too big to pin down to a word. It really is. Eric's higher power was He-Man. Mine was the, the force from Star Wars. I'm telling you, I grew up in a Muslim country. I refused to step into organized religion. And I, I was like, this, this, this is something I can deal with. So there's another saying, if you're willing, you'll find a way. And if you don't, you'll find an excuse. Thanks for letting me share.